Thank you, Sarah. And now Kai is going to come and speak to us. Let's pray for him first. Heavenly Father, thank you for Kai. Thank you for the way that he serves you. I pray that you'd bless him and you just give him your words for us now. Amen. 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 And just thinking about the day today, and it's not that nice. When Abba is sunny, it can feel like the Mediterranean, can't it? And it's all lovely. But when it's a bit more cloudy, it doesn't feel that way. And you can think about places in the world where you may have been before. And this morning, I'm thinking of a few years ago when Liz and I went to Rome. I confess, here and now, we didn't go to see the religious sites. We went to watch Wales play at Leah Rugby. But we took in some of the religious sites along the way. And I'll confess as well that as I went to the Vatican, I felt slightly underwhelmed. As we went to various churches, I felt slightly underwhelmed. And then I went to one church in particular where I went, oh, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. This church, which was in the city, held in its building the chains that held Peter, reportedly anyway. Whether they were or whether they weren't, you couldn't confirm. But these big, huge, chunky chains were in this church. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because even though I know that those first century Christians were constantly under the threat of arrest, constantly under the threat of death, constantly under the threat of imprisonment, it never fully entered into my brain what that would look like. When you read the New Testament accounts of what the apostles were doing when they were under arrest, they almost sound quite jolly. They quite focused on the Lord. But seeing this image and these chains that would have held Peter really altered my view to show how hard that would be. And maybe ask the question of how would I respond should I have been in that situation? Well, a few years ago, quite a few years ago, when I was about 12 or 13, my mother bought me a book. And I'm not the most avid of readers, I'm not Hannah Green, but she bought me this book. And it was an interactive book called You Be the Jury. And the basic scenario of this book was there were about 20 stories. And for every story, there was a scenario to deal with a person who was under arrest. And for that person, whatever they were under arrest for, assault, robbery, you name it, you had to decide whether or not they did or didn't do the crime. And for every case, there were three bits of evidence that you had to examine. And somewhere between the story and the three pieces of evidence was the solution to whether this person was innocent or whether this person was guilty. When I was 12 years old, I read through every single one and came with a determination on whether they were guilty or innocent. I did it again when I was 21, and as an experiment, I did it again in my 30s, having forgotten all the stories. Not once did I get it right. I always got the answer wrong. And even if I guessed and I got it right, I missed the reason as to why it is a person was innocent 
or guilty. I've never been on trial. I've never served on a jury. So I don't know how I might do in that situation. But as I thought about those chains this week, as I thought about that book this week, and as I thought about this reading this week, one question kept coming back and back to my brain, and that is, if I, if you, if we were put on trial for being a Christian, would we be proved innocent or guilty? Would we be guilty of being a Christian on the evidence that is given? And there's two provisos that go along with this question as well, because we're going to put ourselves in Peter's sandals of the first century. And that is, you are not allowed to say two things. First off, on this trial, you are not allowed to say that you go to church. Because in the first century, when Peter was writing these things and Peter was imprisoned, people didn't so much go to church as much as they were part of a church. They didn't understand what it would mean to say, I'm going to church. And the second thing you're not allowed to say is, I'm a Christian. Because again, in the first century, nobody fully knew what a Christian might be. So here we are. Imagine now, Perry Mason style, you're put on trial. You're accused of being a follower of Jesus. Are you innocent or are you guilty? And according to what Peter is saying right here, what do exhibits A, B and C say about us? Well, let's kick off with exhibit A according to Peter in this reading. And exhibit A is really all about character. And the first few verses of this, par- of this particular passage really talk about character and what it is that us who profess to be Christians should be like. And we see a range of words that are used here about how our character should essentially be good, how we should be good people, how we should be kind people, compassionate people, decent people, how we should be people who are set apart from perhaps the rest of the world, but be people who are thoroughly decent throughout. To put it into another context, a more biblical context, if you will, people who are full of the fruit of the Spirit, people who demonstrate the person of Christ and who Christ was. People who, when you look at you, when they look at me, can see Christ at work, can see something about our personality, something of our character that is so different, it can say there is something about Jesus about them. And this is a question at the moment I struggle with for me. And I say it because I tend to walk around dressed like this a lot. So people will just assume I'm a Christian and normally assume I'm quite a nice person as well. But when I'm not dressed like this, what do people see in me? Do they see a person of good character? Do they see a person who is kind? Or do they see a person who is often grumpy, fed up, 
and a little bit done over with life. What do people see? Now, don't get me wrong. We don't have to be perfect. We all get the ump. We all have bad days. We all get wound up, and that's part of being alive. But do people see Jesus at work in us? When people see us, do they think there is just something different about them? When I was a curate in Bridgend, one day I was walking through the churchyard and I met a guy. And this guy was called Al. And Al wanted to see inside the church. And I said, lovely, I'll go and show you inside the church. So we went inside the church. We had a look around. And I said, I'll tell you what, you're new to the area. I'll see you tomorrow. And we'll have a walk around. I'll show you about. Al comes. The next day, me and Al are having a little bit of a wander around. And Al tells me that he's just been let out of prison. But he's expected to go back. Al has had a life of organised crime. Al has had guns pointed at him. Al has pointed guns. And I am stood there listening to him, trying to pretend like I'm cool with it. Oh, yeah, 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 that's all right. Panicking about what on earth have I got myself into. So this guy, Al, is quite open, actually, about his own journey of faith so far and how he's been in and out of prison. And when he's in prison, he'll pretend to be a Christian because you can get a good few perks about being a Christian. But he never really believed it. But he was thinking about it all. Now I had this real panic about this guy, Al, and I didn't know quite what to do. Anyway, a few days later, Al comes looking for me again, and he meets my boss. And my boss is the rector of the parish, my training incumbent, the guy who looks after me. And two different characters you'll never find. Me, I'm this bouncy person who runs everywhere. Him, he's a very dignified sort of bloke. Anyway, I see Al again, and actually on this occasion, Al and I pray, and he says, I want to follow Jesus, and it was amazing. But he talked about this other guy and said, you know what, I've never met a guy so holy in my life. And I kind of laughed a little bit at that, having known this guy myself for a little time now, having worked so closely with him, I thought, him, holy. But then I thought about it a bit more, and this guy who was charged with looking after me, was probably, certainly, one of the holiest people I'd ever met. He was a person who, before I met, was told, he's very relaxed, he's very gentle. He was told, I was told, he's very safe. And even by those who are in authority, I was told this in almost a negative way. That being respectful, gentle, meek even, was kind of a bit of a sign of, Weakness, very safe. But then I thought more and more about him. And he himself would say all those things about himself. Yet people used to flock to him. And he always had a sense of peace around him. Not long when I was in the job, I had to do a christening in the church. And christenings in this particular church used to happen on the first two Sundays of the month after church. And families would come there. It was just too many to have in services, and so they were done outside. And one day, I had two families to do at once. And it was a nightmare. There were two incredibly different families going on. One quite working class, one quite middle class. One who knew what they were there for, one who didn't. And at the end of it all, the one family loved it, 
and the other family hated it. And the other family got in touch with the rector and said, that boy was useless. A few days later, the rector comes and he says, young man, can, I, can we go for a little walk? And he filled me in with all of this kind of stuff. And to this day, I don't know how he did it. But he managed to point out where I went wrong, how they felt the way they did, made me realise how I could have done it better, but also made me feel good about myself. Made me feel encouraged. Made me feel valuable. And made me feel special. Anyone else, including myself, who would pass that on, would have caused me to go home and cover my head with the blankets and want to cry because I'd messed up. But he had managed to do it in such a wonderful, wonderful way. And then, the more I got to know him, the more I realised that this holiness didn't come from an act. He wasn't trying to act the job of a vicar. It was who he really was. On one day on Christmas Day, I said to him, oh, right, going home now for the family. He went, yeah, yeah, I'll go home. I'll do evening prayer, though. I was thinking, on Christmas Day, you want to take the time to pray instead of doing frivolity. Yeah, yeah, it's the right thing to do. He loved the Lord so much that he spent so much time with him and it affected him and it affected his character and it affected who he was. And even now, if he was to walk in this room, you'd identify him simply by his holiness. And this is something that the world needs so much. Holy people. People who are willing to say the kind things. People who are willing to say the compassionate things. People who are willing to say the humane things. People who are willing to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit and willing to stand away from the crowd. Because the way the world is leading us is to actually be the complete opposite of that even in the church. More and more, the world is more nasty. More and more, the world is more confrontational. You're not just expected to be confrontational. You are really expected to be confrontational. And that even penetrates in the church as well. If you're not angry about something, if you're not cross about something, if you're not trying to put somebody down, then something's not right. If you're not passionate, then something's not right. A friend of mine, when she was about to become a curate not long before I was, went and visited the church where she was meant to be a curate. And she went and she sat in the congregation and she was welcomed by somebody. And somebody said to her, are you visiting? Yeah, I won't bother if I was you. It's an horrible church, this, and the vicar is really, really horrible. Try and find somewhere else. And she made the decision not to go to that place if we can't be kind to each other how can we expect that kindness from other people and how can we demonstrate it to other people as well are we willing to demonstrate the fruit of the spirit to the world but are we willing to demonstrate the fruit of the spirit to each other as well are we willing to be kind, to be forgiving, to be graceful with each other as Christ is 
with us. I've never been to court. I've never been on a jury. I've never been on trial. But I have written quite a few character references for people who have been in that place. And it always amazed me how those words are taken seriously. Because a person's character, who they are as a person, who they are deep down, actually speaks volumes above anything else. When people look at us, when people look at the church, what kind of people are they seeing? Would we pass the character test? Would we be guilty of being Christians just because of our character? So that is exhibit A. Exhibit B is slightly more complicated And exhibit B, as Peter talks about, is the willingness to suffer for being a Christian. The willingness to speak up, speak our views, and declare our views for the sake of Christ. To stand up and say, this is what we believe, and what is right according to the scriptures, because of Jesus to follow the example of Jesus who had no problem in standing up and saying, this is who I am and this is what I believe. Whether people like us or don't like us, are we willing to stand by Christ and the values of Christ? And in this world where we live in now, that is blinking complicated. That is incredibly hard to be able to do that. It is incredibly hard to do anything without sounding horrible. It is incredibly hard to do anything without sounding judgmental. It is incredibly hard to do anything without sounding like we are all together. Condescending or anything else. But I also think that deep down it is something the world wants to hear. There's nothing wrong with standing apart from the crowd. In the late 90s, or the late 80s and early 90s, there was a fashion that hit the UK. And the fashion was known as shell. Shell suits were a massive, massive thing. You might have owned one yourself. Shell suits came in a range of colours and arrays, a number of patterns... And my own particular number, made up of orange, blue and green, was no slouch in that argument either. Everyone had a shell suit. It was the fashion of the time. Anyone could look like an Olympian and walk around any town, including Merthyr, looking like a million bucks. That was except my friend Gary Wakeham. Because Gary Wakeham's mam had read somewhere that shell suits were highly flammable. And Gary Wakeham's mom was aware that Gary Wakeham was accident prone. And she liked to smoke as well. So it was either the fags or the shell suit. And poor Gary Wakeham missed out on the shell suit. So he wasn't allowed to wear one. 
And everybody kind of had a bit of a giggle about it, that he wasn't allowed to wear a shell suit in case he caught on fire. But then all of a sudden, all the other mams in the playground caught on to the fact that these shell suits could catch on fire. And one by one, they all started to be banned. And now, to my great lament, shell suits are a thing of the past. You don't see them as much anymore, even though I keep looking for one. You look around and you won't find one because certain people stood up and said, well, actually, perhaps these aren't the wisest things to wear. Stylish? Absolutely. Comfortable? Totally. Safe? Maybe not. All it took was one person to say, this perhaps isn't so wise, and the effects were great. Now, when we apply that to a more Christian context, you can see a change happening as well. Before I was a vicar and I worked in Cardiff, every Friday, me and the people I used to work with used to have afternoon tea together. We used to gather in an office, a pot of tea was put on, a few cakes were put out, and we used to speak about the work and the world and everything else that was going on. One particular Friday afternoon, we were gathered around, and all of a sudden, the conversation took a bit of a funny twist, because everyone started to talk about the issue of adultery, and whether adultery was acceptable. And to my absolute horror, everyone in the room was starting to say, well, I think it's justifiable. If you're in an unhappy marriage, absolutely fine. If that's what you really want to do, that's up to you. You should do what you want to do. If you've got an itch, scratch it, and so on. And I'm getting red and red, and not because I'm angry, but because I'm blushing about the conversation and what it's about. And someone said to me, church boy, I was known for being a Christian, church boy, what do you think? Oh, flipping heck. All right. Well, this is what I think. I think that divorce is permissible under certain circumstances, um, but adultery, I don't think it's right. I think it's wrong, in fact. I think it's totally wrong. Everyone listened intently. They listened to me. They looked at me. They nodded gently. And not one person agreed with what I was saying. But they knew where I stood. And actually, in that room, given this conversation, which I didn't expect... Given a conversation, I can't believe I was happening because of my own culture, my own background, what the values that I held. It was something that just needed to be said, that actually there were still people who didn't think like that. And you know what? No one listened to me, but no one threw me out of the room either. No one said, unbelievable, you judgy church boy, get out of here. And one of the reasons why they did that was because they knew me. And that takes you back to Exhibit A as well. They knew me. I was their friend. I was, to them, a good guy. We had a good relationship. They knew that I wasn't horrible. They knew that I wasn't really judgmental. They knew that I was quite kind and nice and I could have a good laugh with them. If they didn't know me and I came in and expressed that view, I might have had a very different outcome. But because they knew me, then this was the outcome. It's where exhibit A and exhibit B, if you will, cross over. 
And it's where Peter tells people when they had to stand up for the faith, says, be gentle, be respectful, because we can do more harm than we can do good in certain circumstances. But other circumstances, we can do a lot of good. When we have relationships, when we understand the people who we're talking to, when we have a conversation rather than a one-way forced entry, we can talk about our faith so much more openly. We can demonstrate the love of Christ. And let's remember something here that is really, really important. We don't live in a Christian country anymore. We don't live in a country that is dominated by Christian values. We don't live in a country where Christian values are the norm. Very Christian influenced, yes. Our laws Christian influenced, of course. But we are in the minority. And increasingly, we are in the extreme minority. We are the outsiders. But we can also be influenced by those who have gone before us. Because that was the same for where Peter was at. That was the same for where Paul was at. And that was the same as where Jesus was at as well. They were the outsiders. They were the ones who were different from the crowd. And did some people hate it? Of course. Did some people stand against it? Of course. If they didn't, Jesus wouldn't have been crucified. Peter wouldn't have been crucified. Paul wouldn't have been beheaded. Of course, so many people took against it. But you know what as well? Even more people were impacted by it. Even more people came to faith because of it. And when they were willing to stand up and say, this is what I believe, this is why I believe it, people listened. It's why they were arrested in the first place. The question is, in that respectful way, in that gentle way, in that loving way, in a way that is full of the fruit of the Spirit, are we willing to stand up and declare what it is that we believe? And a part of that, going into Exhibit C, are we willing to stand up and declare our faith? Are we willing to declare that we believe in Jesus? Are we prepared to declare that Jesus died for our sins? Are we prepared to declare that Jesus rose again? Are we prepared to declare that we are saved by his grace? Are we prepared to declare who Jesus is and the reality and demonstrate to the world who Jesus is? Peter uses in this reading, this passage, the example of baptism to show what that means. And I think given what we've seen today, that is one of the most beautiful things that there is. Today we saw a young lady stand up and say, I believe in Jesus. Today we saw a young lady who said, Jesus has changed my life. Today we saw a young lady say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I want to follow Jesus. 
Today we saw a young lady say all of that publicly to us and declare it to a world outside that she is willing to follow Jesus. When I heard Bella speaking today, I was reminded of the story from Nuki just down the road just over a hundred years ago when a young lady about the same age as Bella stood up in a church meeting and said, I love Jesus. And it helped kickstart the Welsh revival because the expression of faith was so passionate and so incredible and so amazing that it inspired so many. And I know that today I'm inspired by Bella and her faith. And I hope that you are too. And I hope that inspired by Bella, inspired by Peter, inspired by Jesus, inspired by all that he has done for us, you will go out and declare who Jesus is. Not just say, I go to church. Not just say, I'm a Christian. But declare who Jesus is. That you follow him for a reason. Because he died for your sins. And everyone can come and follow him for that same reason as well. Whether or not we could be innocent or guilty of being a Christian isn't for me to judge. Ultimately, God, of course, is the judge, but the world looks at us. And when the world looks at us, the world wants to see who we are and what we're about. When people see us, what do they see? Do they see the fruit of the Spirit? Do they see love? Do they see people who are willing to stand up and proclaim what they believe? Do they see people who are willing to stand up and proclaim Christ? When people see us, do they see those things? Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks to you for Peter. We give thanks for his teaching. And we give thanks that he was willing to be put in chains and see death for the sake of your son. And we pray that today we will be inspired by him and all who hold on to the faith of Christ. And we pray that when people see us, they would see you at work. And in our actions, and in our words, and in how we, we carry ourselves, they would see you. That we wouldn't even need to say that we go to church. That we wouldn't even need to say that we are Christians. They would just know. And I pray, Father God, that that would be an inspiration to so many people. And more people will see you at work. And more people will join in with you at work. So come, Father God, bless us this day. And may we walk in your ways always, pointing the way to your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.